Well, I'm back, and thank you for uh, sticking with me this morning to our second lesson. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We started out this morning considering the first 10 verses here. And if you were paying good attention during our scripture reading, you will have heard the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey was known to say. As Don read for us here, verses 11 to the end of the chapter, really Peter's final words. And this morning we already started with a conversation about the day of the Lord. The fact that the day of the Lord is most definitely a day that is coming. There is no doubt about that. I believe that just as surely as God created the earth, just as surely as he filled the earth with water to destroy it, he is going to destroy it again someday with fire. As he talks about throughout the scripture and particularly here, as Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3. That day is definitely coming, but that day hasn't come yet. And the reason why that day hasn't come yet is because our Lord God is patient. And if I could just stop for a minute and think about my own sins, think about the mistakes I've made, the, the life that I've lived, even if just for me, God is so patient. And I'm sure you can think about your own life and see how patient the Lord God is toward you too. But that day will come, and when it comes, it will be a surprise. It will be a surprise. It'll be something that we do not expect, like a thief who comes in to rob our house. Had we known that that was going to happen, we would have been ready. Hopefully, we will have been ready. And so the question really, as Peter kind of transitions from the end of this discussion about the mechanics or what's going to happen during the day of the Lord. Verse 10, if you back up there, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Then we get to verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt and burn. I don't know if you're like me. I don't like that first lesson. Not because I don't like to think about the day of the Lord, because I think that's important. It is motivating for us to think about the day of the Lord. I don't like that first lesson because of where it stopped. I don't like that first lesson because it did not continue into verse 11. If you listen to a lesson, or if you study a passage of scripture, you sit in a Bible class and hear a conversation about God's word, and you don't get to the, so what? You've missed a lot. And I did try to include some, so what, in that conversation in the first lesson, but Peter has a very specific goal in mind in bringing all of this up in chapter 3, and that is to get to verse 11. Since, or therefore, because all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That is the question I want to address. If you stop and just absorb 
the details of all of this conversation about judgment and the terrible day of the Lord that will come suddenly like a thief, if you just stop and absorb all of that, how does that change you? How does that change the way you live today? How does that shift my focus to more spiritually minded things? How does that lead me down the path of holiness and godliness? And that is really the question that Peter is posing here. And if you were paying attention during the scripture reading, you will, you will know that Peter doesn't actually answer the question directly. If you continue reading in this section till the end of chapter 3, basically the end of what Peter's been saying, he doesn't directly answer the question. What sort of people ought we to be? Now, any good preacher would stand up here and say, I've got a five-point sermon on here's, how, here's what you're supposed to be, right? And you'd expect Peter to do that. He doesn't do that. So I will. <laughs> That's what we're going to do this morning. I want to look and consider throughout the scriptures, really, when writers of God's word talked about eternity, talked about the day of the Lord, talked about God's terrible judgment, what was there there for? What was there, how should you act? What was the conclusion that they came to as a result of their thoughts and their considerations of the day of the Lord? Because Peter doesn't really tell us here. Other than to tell us that we need to live lives of holiness and godliness, he does tell us that we need to be ready. He tells us effectively that we need to stand strong, but he doesn't really give us all the details. And so I think maybe it would, it would do us a little bit of good this morning to think about when I think about God's fiery destruction on the earth, what do I do about it? How does it change me? And so maybe the first thing we could think about is how we need to be steadfast people. What sort of people ought we to be? We need to be steadfast people. And that is actually what Peter talks about near, near the end here. He does tell us that we need to not lose our stability in verse 7. We need to be stable. We need to be firm. We need to be the kind of people who have our feet under us and are unshakable. We are unswerving kinds of people. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you will know, obviously, that this is Paul's just opus about the resurrection of Jesus. How the resurrection of Jesus is effectively the linchpin on which everything in our faith hangs. Without the resurrection of Jesus, everything would be meaningless. But as he begins really wrapping up this conversation about the resurrection of Jesus in verse 58, the conclusion of all of these things after talking about how this mortal life will, will perish, how everything that is in the flesh now is going to go away and make room for the spiritual. After everything happens, when the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised imperishable, therefore, my beloved brothers, in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thinking about heaven, thinking about eternal judgment, we need to be steadfast people. 
We need to be immovable people. You think about somebody in your life who represents that kind of steadfast and immovable kind of character. That kind of just firm foundation of faith kind of person. And I don't know why for me, but I immediately start thinking about people who, who are older Christians. People who have been, been around the block for a while. You know, I, I start thinking about people like Nelma. I start thinking about people like Danny and like Don. And, and all of these people who, in my mind, they, they've been following the Lord for so long and, and they're steadfast. They're immovable. They're rocks in my mind. But it, you don't have to be a Christian for 60, 70 years to be steadfast and immovable. And I think that's a really important thing for us to consider. Because in Acts, 4, Acts 2, verse 42, in the very beginning of the church, in the very beginning, as people began to commit their lives to the Lord, it says that they were continually or steadfastly devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine and teaching, to the fellowship and breaking of bread. They were steadfast. Even, even the very first Christians were steadfast. And so that makes me start thinking about people like the Zambrano family. It makes me start thinking about the Amalong boys or Abby, people who haven't been believers for very long, but who are steadfast, who are immovable. These people who commit their lives to the Lord and are probably going through more difficulty and struggle than I can even possibly imagine, but who are remaining faithful. You don't have to be a believer for very long to be steadfast and immovable. And I think as we think about the day of the Lord approaching, that is who we need to be. We need to be steadfast. We need to be immovable. Like I talked about in the first lesson this morning, we need to be those stewards who have our hand on the doorknob, just ready to open it up when the master comes again. We need to be ready and firmly planted. That's something that it really takes a daily thought process, a daily reminder because don't you know how many people in your life, don't you know how many people in this church have not been steadfast? We've seen their foundation shaken. We've seen them fall. And we pray for them. And we encourage them. And we beg them, please, to reconsider your life. That last day is going to come. The day of the Lord is going to come, and only those who are steadfast, only those who are faithful and firmly planted are going to be ready and prepared for that last day. So that's the, that's the first thing I came up with, steadfast. So we could really stop there, because I think that includes quite a lot. To be steadfast really is to be a, a well-rounded and holistic believer, because every aspect of our life is, is thoughtful and handled properly before the Lord. But we'll continue because I think we also see the importance of prayer. We need to be a prayerful, prayerful people. What sort of people ought you to be knowing that the day of the Lord is coming? We need to be on our knees in prayer every day. Life is not easy. And I know there are some in, in religious circles who talk about how 
you know, we're just going to have this sort of wealth and health and all kinds of prosperity, and God is going to basically, you know, put us in a lounge chair in, in some green backyard somewhere drinking frosty beverages all day, and that's going to be our life if, if God is blessing us. You look through the New Testament. I mean, you look through the entire Bible, really. People didn't have a very easy life when they followed God, did they? You, Jason talked about the, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. You look at all those people, I mean, very few of them were just kicking up their feet and enjoying life, were they? They went through a lot. And you and I are going to go through a lot. Which is why I think that Paul so eloquently in Philippians 4 verse 6 talks about our anxieties. Because we got them. <laughs> we absolutely got them. 2,000 years ago, they had anxieties. Today, in 2021, we've got anxieties. And what does Paul tell us to do with those anxieties? Cast them on the Lord in prayer. Ask him for what it is that we need and give thanks for the things that we, that we have asked him for. It was interesting. I've, I've been particularly thankful to the Lord over the last couple of weeks for the rain that we've gotten. And I'm just going to blame Mitch Johnson for that squarely, I think, as he, you know, a couple months ago was really encouraging us all to, to pray for rain as it hadn't rained for a very long time. And in almost biblical sort of proportions, we've had a lot of rain over this monsoon season. Obviously, I'm not, that's sort of joking more than anything, but I, I, I do believe that God has blessed us. And I do believe that he's blessed us because we prayed to him and because we asked him for that. And I think the prayer of righteous people certainly accomplishes much. And I think that as we see that day approaching, calling on our God, asking Him for the things that we need, not selling Him short, but believing that He can do everything that we ask or imagine, I think we, we really have a, a great blessing in praying to the Lord. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, really. This is a, an encouraging chapter by the, the Hebrews writer here, as really, again, he's been talking about this rest and the, the rest that we are going to have, the Sabbath rest that is going to come, how he talks about in chapter 4, verse 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Remember that, that picture we looked at in the, in the first lesson about the rock? sort of all the bugs under the rock being exposed, God is going to see everything. Everything is going to lay open and bare to him someday. But then in verse 14, the Hebrews writer said, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With heaven in mind, with that day of the Lord firmly fixed in our minds, we know exactly who to go to to take care of our earthly needs in the meantime. We know that we can call on our master. We know that we can call through our great mediator, Jesus, the Son of God, to, to intercede between us and God and to, to explain to him, to explain to the Father all the things that we're going through because he knows. 
and he cares. And he's been through it too. As people who wait on the Lord, as people who are waiting for that great and terrible day, we are on our knees in prayer all the time. Because we know that this world isn't our home and that we're just stewards of the master. And so we call on him and we cast our anxieties on him. But not only are we prayerful people, not only are we steadfast people, but we're soul-winning people. This is not just about us. This is not just about you going it alone, living before the Lord God by yourself. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11, as he is really just summarizing again this day of the Lord, the terrible fearful punishment that will come from God on all of those who do not follow him. His conclusion, Paul's conclusion, was therefore knowing the fear or knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade people because we know what's going to happen. I was, as we were again talking about Noah a few weeks ago in Bible study, there is, I think, a, a common discussion or a common talking point around Noah that Noah preached for a very long time before the ark was built. I struggle to find that evidence. I struggle to find the verse which talks about Noah having preached before, he was, before the flood and before the ark was built. I, I couldn't find that. And if, if anyone has found that, I'm, I'm curious if you would help me find that as well. But, but it's a common, I don't know if you've heard that phrase. Have you ever heard that phrase where Noah preached for you know, 100 and something years before the ark was built? I, I've heard that talked about. Are we preaching before the day of the Lord? Are we out there? I don't know if Noah did it. I, I sure hope he did. I, I would assume based on his character and his faithfulness that he was talking to other people about the great flood that was coming. It doesn't really matter whether he did or not, though. It matters whether you do. It matters whether you win souls, whether you go out and teach other people about Jesus, because that day is coming. And every day that you don't talk to somebody about the Lord is another day that they don't hear, and they don't repent, and they don't turn to Jesus. And it's a scary thought, really, for me to think about all those people on that day who I will not have told about the Lord. Every one of us have people in our lives that we love, and maybe those people we haven't talked to as seriously as we should about their eternal soul and where they're going. And if we really, truly believe that the day of the Lord is definitely coming, that's a conversation we're going to have because we love those people. And that is really what Jesus was all about. Jesus, in pretty much his last instruction in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, of course, we all remember what Jesus told his disciples to go out and to preach. This was the job that they were supposed to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That was their job. And that's our job, to go out into the world and teach, to win souls and explain to people there is a great and terrible day coming. Are you ready? And so, as we think about being soul-winning people, maybe we also think about being sacrificial people. What sort of people are you 
when you think about the day of the Lord, I think we're sacrificial people. We're the kind of people who realize that, as I've said, this world is not our home. And I love that thought. I love that thought. I, I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he said that he was, him and his wife had been talking a whole lot about their possessions, and they'd been talking about what they have and all the things that, that you know, they have as stuff in their house. And they started talking about how they wanted to become possessionless people. Not that they would give everything away or sell everything, but that they would become a resources-only people. That the things that they had, nothing was theirs, but everything was just a resource that they could use for God's service somehow. And I thought that was, I thought that was noteworthy. That stood out in my mind thinking about that. What do you have that is quote-unquote yours? Remember, we're just stewards. We're just servants of our master. Nothing is ours. What is it that you can think of that is 100% yours that God has not blessed you with? I can't think of anything. Everything I can think of is something that God has blessed me with. And as we start to think about that, as we start to think about how God has blessed us, how he's given us so much, I don't think we can think very long without starting to think about sacrifice. And you can't think about sacrifice, again, without thinking about Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sacrificed himself for us. And in verse 9, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Remember, we're talking about the day of the Lord. We're talking about the wrath of God. That day is coming. And why do I not have to be worried about that day? It's because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. It's because he laid down his life for me. Where are we going next? Well, it's on the board. You know that. If you didn't see it on the board, I would hope you'd know where we were going next because Romans chapter 12, verse 1, turns the tables from Jesus' great sacrifice to my sacrifice. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is it that you have that you can sacrifice for the Lord? We certainly should sacrifice our heart and our mind. Every aspect of who we are should be on the altar for the Lord God. Take it the next step, though. What about your possessions? What about your time? What about your attention? What about your energy? Should those be sacrificed for the Lord as well? Can you use those things as a resource to bless others, to serve other people? Or do we sometimes hold on to our possessions with white knuckles? Do we sometimes feel like, like what's mine is mine, and what's yours is yours? And if, if you're not willing to work hard for what you have, then I'm sorry, I can't help you. You know, we had a wonderful lesson recently about benevolence and the opportunity that individuals have to give and that the, the limitations or the guidelines there about what the church is and is not allowed to do in helping other people. And I'm so 
I'm so frustrated by lessons like that, and let me tell you why. It was a great lesson. It was 100% scripturally accurate. 2,000 years ago, do you think they would have had to preach that lesson in the way that we preach it today? No, they wouldn't. Because the early church was helping other people. People in the early church, individuals in the early church were out there helping other people. That's what Jesus wanted them to do. And lessons like that are so important for us to understand the distinction between what we as individuals do and what the church does. But you know that if every single one of us was supporting people in our community, if we were out there helping, if we were giving liberally, if we were just the kind of sacrificial people that understood that nothing that I have here on this earth is mine, we would be supporting this church, and we do. We would be supporting other people in our community, and we should be doing those things. And I wonder, I wonder if sometimes we're not as sacrificial as maybe we could be. I think about this like in that phrase that sometimes gets used, like I gave at the office, right? I, I, I gave before, I've already given, that's, I, I, that's it, I'm done. How much did Jesus give for you? How much, is he, how much has he given for you? And how much does he call you to give for him? And as Jesus stood in front of a very rich young man and said, I want you to sell everything you have, if you're thinking what I'm saying right now is radical, Imagine what it sounded like to that rich young man when Jesus said it to him. Just some things to think about as we start to really settle in on the fact that this world is not our home and that someday all the possessions we have, all the blessings that God has given us are going to be burned up with fire. Or maybe they'll be passed on to somebody else. So we can be sacrificial today. But finally, I think we need to be joyful. We need to be joyful. There is, there is that phrase or that sort of stereotype of Christians who are very stoic and very non-happy people. Like, yeah, we can be happy. It's okay. You can be excited. You can be joyful. You can be elated. You can actually smile. Believe it or not. Believe it or not, you can actually smile. And why is that? Because we know that there's nothing to be afraid of. We know that our Lord is coming again. We know that the day of the Lord is on the horizon. It is coming. And for us, it is no reason for us to be afraid. For us, we have no reason to cower in fear because we understand full well what's in store for us. And that really leads us again back to Philippians. And you think about this little book of Philippians, which is one of my favorites. It is the most joyful book, I think, of the New Testament. Full of joy, isn't it? Just absolutely full of joy, despite the fact that where is Paul while he's saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Where is he? He's in prison. He's in chains. And he's saying, Let's be happy, guys. Let's be happy, church. This is a good thing that we're suffering for the Lord for. He's talking about being joyful people. And, and of course, 
when we start thinking about that day, we start understanding that like Noah knew he would be in the boat, we know that through Jesus, as we've already talked about, we'll be safe in that day as well. We know that that day for us, for those of us who are following the Lord God, we know that that will not be a day to be afraid of. That will be a day to rejoice because we're finally going home. We're finally being set free from the pain and the anguish of this life. We are finally going to be home with our God where we can sing praises to him forever. That's where I want to be. And that's where I want you to be. And as we live on this earth, what is the second fruit of the Spirit? Joy. Love and joy. Peace and patience. These kinds of stabilizing thoughts that we can have as we look forward to that day. We can be joyful people. And I hope we are. And I know y'all are just staring forward right, right now at me. And I hope, I hope today, as you go home, as you start talking to other people in the hallway, as we're, as we're conversating on the way out of the building, I hope you will let your joy be, be seen. And I hope as people start to see us throughout the week, I hope they will see that we are a joyful people. Because why would they want to come and be with us? Why would they want to come be a part of a bunch of people who didn't have any fun? and who weren't looking forward to something in joy and excitement. Life isn't going to be easy, like we've talked about. We may, for our entire lives, be in chains. Some kind of chains. Chains of anxiety. Chains of health problems. Chains of uncertainty. I don't know what chains you may be chained up with, but we can all be joyful people knowing what's on the horizon for us all. Amen? All right, those are just five things that I came up with. I told you I was going to give you five things like all preachers like to do. But man, aren't there more? Knowing the day of the Lord is coming. Knowing that on the horizon, we have an expectation that everything we see and know will be destroyed. Knowing that and being confident in that, what sort of people ought you to be? How does that change your life? How does that change who you're going to be this week? And maybe nothing that we talked about was on your list. Maybe you've got your own list. Maybe you're thinking about some things that you want to be. I'd love for you to share those with me. I'd love for you to share those with other people. And more than, more than the people in this room, I'd love for you to share those with the world. Go share your life. Go share what, what the day of the Lord has done to you with the rest of the world who's still in darkness before it's too late. If you're here this morning and you know what it is that you need to do to be saved, if you know that you are not ready for that day, if you know that you are not prepared and living a life in harmony with the Lord God through his son Jesus Christ, then we can help you begin that walk today by, by praying with you, by baptizing you, by supporting you in your journey with the Lord. Please come forward as we stand and sing.